Okay, so we are in 2 Corinthians, and we're in the end of chapter 4, verses 16, to chapter 5, verses 10, verse 10. So I'm going to start with 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 5, verse 10, which says this. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for um, the chance to look at it together, the chance to preach your gospel from this text that you've given us, oh God. We thank you for its faithfulness to point us back to the cross, point us to what Christ has done for us, what he's purchased for us, how he's redeemed us. God, we pray that your spirit will be speaking to each of us this morning. God, these will be your words and not mine. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've got a question for you as we start. The question is, what is home? How do you define home? Is it a place? Is it where the heart is? Is it familiarity? What would you say? Anyone want to give me a word that you, you associate with, with home? Any words stick out to you when I say the word home? Where you're loved. Cool, yeah. So not a place. No, no. Others, what does home mean to you? What, is, what does it mean to you when you hear the word home? Rest. Rest? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Place you go from, yeah. What's that? Sanctuary. Yup, yup. <laughs> cool. Uh, home isn't a place, and I think we know that and, and understand that. I think a place can become home, right? But the place itself is never the home. Uh, there's something else that comes with that place, comes to that place, that actually makes it into 
a home instead of maybe a house or instead of maybe a place where you lay your head or, or, or whatever. You know, home is, is that security. It's that, uh, it's that place of where you're loved, where you're known. And that's what we're going to see throughout this text is, is actually two things, uh, that, that home is the place where we are secure, where we, like Sam said, maybe have sanctuary or rest, where we're secure, uh, and it's where we're known, we're known by someone there. We're known better than anywhere else. We go out into the world and we do these things and we act like the best accountant in the world or the best teacher in the world or the best op tech in the world or whatever. And we go out and do these things and then we come back and we can be ourselves and we can be known. We can be known exactly as we are, take all the guards down and, and be known. And so home is a place where we ought to feel secure and we ought to be known. Um, I want to give a little context to our, our message as we've been talking through 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul started out this letter to the Corinthians addressing why he, wasn't, uh, why he hadn't come to them another time. And we went through that, how there's sort of some letters back and forth, and he just felt it right for him not to go to them. And he started uh, talking to them about uh, an issue that's going on in their church, that they'd, they had uh, rebuked a man that was in sin, rightly, as Paul had persuaded them to do, but now they had held this uh, sin over the man. They, they, they were not extending forgiveness to him. They had rebuked him and, and got him in line in terms of his morality and his understanding. But once the guy had repented, they hadn't received him back. And so this unforgiveness was stuck in their hearts. And so, so that launched Paul into this chapters-long uh, discourse on what the gospel really is. And the gospel fundamentally is that, yes, we're sinners, and yes, there are actions that we are taking that are wrong, but at the foot of the cross, when we've come there, he has forgiven us. And when we repent and turn from this one direction and go another direction, we as the body ought to welcome each other into that place of forgiveness. Um, and so Paul's been talking through this, and, and last week he uh, talked about how in, in his life, his desire is to bring that truth to everybody. And he would endure anything, anything at all, to share that one thing, the gospel, with those around him. That's his single desire. He would face any trial, any tribulation, so that he could do this one thing, share that Jesus has died on the cross for your sin. He would do anything to share the gospel one time with somebody. And so throughout this passage, what we're going to see is that uh, Paul now talks about what that gospel, what that truth, what coming into relationship with Jesus accomplishes for us. It gives us a home. Because the fact is, I don't know if you realize this, but our homes are broken. Like if you look around at ourselves, we can each do some self-reflection here and understand that when I go home, I'm not fully secure and I'm not fully known. I may be most known, and I'm maybe most secure there, but not fully realized. And what God has given us in Jesus is the hope of full, secure home, in a full place where we are fully known by God. And so we'll see that as we go throughout this, uh, this text. First, Paul starts with verses 14 to 16 and, and talks about uh, sort of a transitional passage here. And, and he says this, he says, so we do not lose heart. And he's saying, despite all the difficulty that we're facing in doing this ministry, we don't lose heart. He says that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, uh, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul here is encouraging us to look beyond the experience that we're enduring to the thing that is actually stronger and more, uh, more lasting than anything that we see. Look to the unseen, the eternal, that will last forever. The place where you will find full security and full, uh, fully be known. Uh, Paul doesn't make these bold statements lightly. He, he says in verse 17, this light momentary affliction. How many people know that Paul's light momentary affliction is nothing that we would call light or momentary? Uh, chapter 11, uh, we'll get there later in our, uh, in our time in 2 Corinthians, but I want to read this brief passage for you. He's He's talking about boasting, and the Corinthians are known for boasting about their faith and where they had gone. But Paul says this, and he boasts in this, starting in verse, uh, I'll start, I'll pick up in verse 23, speaking of what he has endured. He says, far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. That means 40 lashes is when they thought you would die from the lashes. And so five times he got 40 minus one, um, 39, plenty, um, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I drift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all those things, there's a daily pressure on me of, the, of my anxiety for all the churches. Not only is he uh, enduring physical affliction and circumstance, he's also dealing with psychological anxiety for those that he is giving himself, pouring himself out for. And Paul calls this light and momentary affliction. Um, Paul doesn't take the, make these bold statements throughout this text lightly. He takes it from a, a place of reality of understanding the afflictions that are endured in life. He declares these truths to himself and others, knowing that the afflictions only prepare us for the eternal weight of glory. You know, one of the passages I think about when I think about Paul is the passage where he talks about uh, therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, give your uh, thanksgiving to God. I always think about that because a lot of times you face anxiety, right? And you're like, okay, what, how's this thing going to happen? Or how's this thing going to happen? Or who's, you know, what is this person thinking about me? Whatever. All these anxieties pressure us all the time, right? And I always think, man, Paul, don't be anxious about anything. Are you serious? It's not that Paul says there won't be anxiety, right? He says, he doesn't say anxiety will never come. Is don't let anxiety take over you. He even admits in chapter 11 that he's faced with daily pressure of anxiety over the churches that he's serving. So it's not that he's unaware that we all are enduring anxiety that grips us throughout our days. It's that he says, don't be uh, held down by that. God has given you something greater to stand on than that. Yes, the anxiety might be there, but trust and hope in the Lord. He is bigger than that anxiety. Paul doesn't uh, speak from a place of naivety uh, or, 
or, or a place of ease. He speaks of a place of endurance through tragic uh, affliction. And so Paul says this at the very beginning of our passage, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The fact is, when we've placed our trust in Jesus, the external circumstances that we're facing pale in comparison to the eternal reality that has been born within us. And now, whatever comes our way on the external is only measured against the eternal that is within us. So Paul says, we've got to look to the unseen and understand uh, that what is unseen is what will last, and what is seen is just transient. We think about things that are structured and, and full as things that this thing is just going to stand forever. Like, well, this building's been here since 1924, and you know, there's a pretty good likelihood that in the next 50 years, it'll be gone. Um, like, we, you know, we probably won't be here in 50 years, you know, and, and our church probably won't be here in 50 years unless it's in another structure that is also here. Uh, the truth is we're in a downtown area. This is a very small building. At some point, this building is going to grow very large, and there's going to be a much taller building where we're standing. Um, things that are structured and, 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 and uh, tangible to us sometimes seem like the things that are most stable. The truth is they're not. They're transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, they came from dust, and back to dust they go. Um, and so uh, the problem for us is, is to think about what is truly eternal, what's truly going to last more than the, the temporal things that we're enduring. I read this from a commentator this week. He said about this passage, uh, the problem isn't so much in what we think about our light affliction, but in that we think so little of our coming weight of glory. We think so much about the light affliction that we're enduring, whatever it may be, uh, and, and we think so little about the coming glory that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, and I, you know, I admit, I, I'm, I'm very guilty of that. I don't think much. I don't reflect much about, man, you know, it's going to be great when I'm in heaven. Like, I don't dwell on that a ton, really. I know it. You know, as a Christian, I know that that's, uh, that's what I've been given, and I have a secure hope in Jesus and that. The truth is, a lot of times, I don't really think about that. I'm usually going to God in prayer thinking, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. Lord, help me with this. And sometimes I'm thankful to him for the things he's done, but I don't spend a lot of time just like, dwelling on like, man, isn't it going to be great to just be in the presence of the Lord and like all these cares are going to be totally gone away. And I don't let my spirit be renewed by that. And I need to. Um, I need to let that eternal weight of glory that has been bought for us in Christ sink deeply in my soul so that I know, you know, even if I endure the experience of Paul, it is a light and momentary affliction. So Paul gives us two things about, uh, about this eternal home, really, that has been purchased for us in Christ uh, throughout this text. He says, first, that this home is a place where we are secure. And second, he says, this, is a, this home is a place where we are known. There is eternal, an eternal place, an unseen place to us as we are perceiving things. Uh, there is a, a place that is unseen, that that is the real home for us, where we have full security and full um, knowledge of one another, where we are fully known for who we are. And that place is, is in the presence of God. Now, the truth is, as we talk through this, we're talking, yes, about a place that is in the future for us who have placed our faith in Jesus, uh, but it's also a place that like, somehow extends into us because of what Christ has done. Uh, Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, said, 
uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there's this reality that what is eternal has been born in our hearts. And so we're experiencing a bit of his security, a bit of his knowingness of ourselves, uh, even now, and though we will experience it fully in the future. But this is what Paul says about our secure home. First, he says, we are, our, our home is where we are secure. Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 5 say this, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the first thing is this. Uh, there is a home for us, and it's a building prepared, prepared for us by God. God himself has prepared a place for us, a home for us to live, an eternal home for us, where we're secure. Um, we you know, we look around at our homes and, you know, they think this is a pretty secure place. It looks pretty good, right? I mean, uh, but, but God has built us a full home. And the fact is, as we walk through this life, there are many things that could destroy what is our home. And uh, there's a lot of like imagery throughout here of, of tent and house and, uh, and clothing and dwelling. Uh, but what, is, what he's really trying to get across here is that we are in bodies that can be destroyed. Like, these bodies could die. Like, we, we could, we could uh, you know, be run over by a bus today, or, you know, whatever it is. Like, like these things are going to fail us. We could get a disease and, and die very quickly because of that disease. Or we could live, you know, a very long life, and then, you know what, we'll still die. You know, these things will be destroyed. But God says there's an eternal place for us, a building that will last forever, that is for us, that God has prepared uh, for us. And so there's a lot of imagery there, but what he's trying to get across to us is that we have a place that's prepared for us by God, and it will last forever. Paul uh, describes this a, a little more, saying that what is mortal, that is my body, is going to be swallowed up by the life that God has given me in Christ. Uh, verses 2 to 4, um, he, he gets to that. He says, uh, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The Corinthians had this uh, understanding. We went through it a lot when we were in 1 Corinthians. They had a, what's called an over-realized eschatology. Uh, they believed that, that their body didn't matter, and so they did all these immoral things with their body because the body didn't matter. Uh, and that their spirit is what did matter. And so they were dwelling in this uh, spiritual realm to where they thought, well, because Jesus has forgiven my sins, uh, my spirit is clean, and I can do whatever I want in my body, <laughs> which is like absurd, right? Um, and so uh, what Paul is saying, it's not that we are putting off the body. We're not putting off the body at all. Like, this is the body that God has given us. Uh, when we die and we're raised, we're clothed further. Our, our person is made whole. We're, we're given greater clothing that will swallow up what is mortal within us and, and give us full life. 
And so he's confronting again this Corinthian perspective that the body just doesn't matter and this is just going to pass away so we can do whatever we want with it. Say, no, it's not about like your body being done with after you die. It's about you being further clothed with the eternal life that God has for us. And so uh, Paul says, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Paul then in verse 5 says, shows us how, uh, how guaranteed this is for us. He says, uh, verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing, this swallowing up of our mortal bodies in life, is God. God is the one that has prepared this for us. The fact is, if I build something, it's not going to last. If I do it, it's going to break down because I'm a human. Any human that's built anything has only built something that's going to turn back to dust. Um, I was going to talk about this later, but we, we watched this, uh, um, uh, this show last night called A Year in Space. Have you guys heard about Scott Kelly? He came back this week and all that. Okay, so we watched his little documentary about being a year in space. And so uh, we're watching it, and I was really impressed by, okay, here's this humongous structure that weighs tons and tons and tons. It's like football fields long. Uh, and you know how fragile it is? <laughs> like, it is so fragile that... Um, there are, there are satellites that are still like just space junk running around in, uh, in, in, in space. They're just floating out there, stuff that's not even functioning. It's just spinning around the earth, doing nothing. We can't bring it back down. We can't send it further out, I guess. It's just sort of stuck in orbit. Um, and so whenever the space station, this amazingly intricate, incredibly expensive, uh, like huge multi-country endeavor uh, is floating around, around our earth, Whenever it gets close to one of these things, you know what they do? They all curl up in the fetal position in the innermost part of the space station and hope that they don't run into it. <laughs> like, you would think this thing that has been so invested in making it secure and stable, like, there'd be a good plan. Like, no, just hope we don't run into that thing. And then you hear them sort of going through this moment, and uh, the, the Russian astronaut is talking to their command center, and they say, you know, is, is it, you know, are we, do we still need to stay in here? And Moscow says, the moment has passed. And they all go back to normal. It's like, whew, okay, missed the satellite. We had no idea if we were going to or not, but we did, so we're good. Let's just keep on doing all of the experiments. Anyway, life is fragile, right? Like, whatever circumstance you are in, wherever you are, as far off the earth you go, life is fragile. And so, um, but we have something that's been built by God. It's something that will last forever. He says, uh, verse 5 again, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. And he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He's given each of us the Spirit as a guarantee. I've talked about this uh, a number of times, but the fact is, like, I don't have an ability to fully judge any of you or even my family or anybody I know about exactly whether they have place their faith in Jesus or not. Like, I don't have a, an ability to know exactly your motives and how, uh, how your relationship with Christ is exactly to know, like, I know you're going to heaven, and I know you're going to heaven, and I know you're, like, I'm not the judge of that. It's a personal relationship with God, and His Spirit is our guarantee of that. Uh, not anybody else's uh, perception or anybody else's assessment of your works or your abilities or, or your faith or, or what appears to be on the outside. God's Spirit is the guarantee of your eternal home with God. He's built the eternal home and He's given you individually 
a guarantee by the Holy Spirit. Now, can I see fruit of the Spirit's work in someone's life? Yes, we can discern fruit of the Spirit's work in each other's lives. And we definitely see that and, and, and can be encouraged by that and encourage each other in this truth. But ultimately, it's like this very personal relationship with God where His Spirit is the one that tells you, you know what, if I die tomorrow, I know where I'll be. You know, that's you know, one of the fundamental questions in, in like street evangelism or, or really any sort of evangelism is you go up to someone and say, hey, uh, if you die tonight, where do you think you'll go? Right? And they're like, well, I don't know. I don't really care. Um, you know, whatever. And the thing a Christian can say, if they're being honest and if they've really had this experience is, I do know. I know exactly where I'll be. If I go out on the street and die somehow, some way, anyway, if I just pass out and die, I know where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to the eternal building that God has built and prepared for me and is secured for me by the guarantee of his Holy Spirit because of my faith in Christ Jesus. The home that we have in God is secure and it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit's work within us. Um, I have to say that because the second section, we sort of shift to this other idea and concept, and I want to make sure that we don't get them uh, convoluted. Uh, the truth is, when you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have a secure hope in the very presence of God. And it's a, it's a hope that's eternal, and it's also a hope that extends into this life to where whatever circumstance you're going to, you stand on the foundation, the Holy Spirit is within you, and the presence of God is with you in everything that you go through. We have a secure home in God. The second thing we see is that a home is where we are known. It's where we are known. Uh, Verses 6 to 10 say this, so we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that last verse is what we sort of have to deal with here. It says, uh, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, at the judgment seat of Christ. So um, it sounds like there's some sort of judgment for our works right? It would be wrong to interpret this and say, uh, see, our entrance into heaven is based on our works because we're going to go before the judge and he's going to determine whether we've done good or evil. So let me ask you this question. Like, what do you deserve at the judgment seat of Christ? Full judgment, right? Like, I, I've, I don't measure up. Like, I don't measure up to the standard that God has given me uh, in his word. But what he's talking about here is is something different. Again, like in verses 1 to 5, we have declared and seen clearly that our hope in God is secure in Christ Jesus. It's been paid for and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So our faith has saved us. That's the only thing that has saved us. It is not by our works. However, Paul talks about here that 
that shouldn't lead us to apathy about this life. One of the things he's dealing with with the Corinthians is that they don't seem to care about what happens in this life and how they operate in this life. They think they've, again, realized their eternal, eternal nature and that they're perfect and they don't have to worry about the body. Paul says, no, that's not the case. If Christ has died for you and paid for your sin and brought forth the presence of God into your life, that's probably going to look like something. That's probably going to look like some action taken by you in response to the love of the Father. The fact is, when someone comes and loves us, it moves us to do something. It doesn't keep, we don't like receive some great blessing of love and like, oh, that was cool. No, like if you've really been moved by love, you respond to that. You, you are enthralled with that and, and are taken up in that and, and act. And so that's what Paul is getting to here a little bit is that um, in the Lord, whether we're at home or away from the Lord, whether we're in his presence in heaven or whether we're on this earth, our aim is to please him. Our whole desire and our whole being has been shifted from pleasing myself and other people's perception of me uh, to pleasing God and, and, and living for his glory. And so when we get to verse 10 and he says, all must appear. He's talking about even Christians are going to appear before God. Each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The fact is, when we go before God, we're going to be fully known. We're going to be fully known. All the skeletons in the closet are going to be taken out. We're going to be like, yeah, there it was. That was terrible. <laughs> You know, that's just the first closet, you know? Uh, here's the second closet of skeletons. And all the good things that you've done, that you poured out, I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of that. That's awesome. You know, it's not going to matter a lick for your salvation, but you are going to receive it back and say, this is me. This is who I am. But regardless of all this, it is because of Jesus that I'm here. Um, it's hard to like, figure out exactly what this reward is for the things that are good and what the punishment could be for the things that are evil, but there is something there. And, and people have thought about what it might be, whether it's like you get a bigger mansion or you just get a smaller mansion because you had more evil than good. Uh, or, you know, like there's, these, there's really like lots of philosophy about or thinking about uh, theories about what this might be. And we don't have a lot of information about what it is that we receive uh, for what we've done. As, as Christians, whether good or evil. Um, I think it has mostly to do with um, like an appreciation for what God has done. It's, it's going to lead us to a better understanding of what God has done for us personally and, and what we get to celebrate that we've done for God. It's a greater understanding of the eternal weight of glory that we've received. Some people have thought that maybe, you know, because of the things you've done, what you, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful, you'll, you'll be given much to be stewards of. And some people that take a sort of work understanding of uh, the heavenlies, like that there'll be jobs to do there, say that those who have done more will have more to do in, in heaven. So there's a whole lot of theories about that, right? But the fundamental truth that Paul is getting across to us is that when we've been saved by Jesus and brought into the presence of God, our desire shifts to desiring to please him. And it doesn't erase the things that we've done bad, like, like they never happened. Uh, it just forgives them, right? Like we're forgiven. It's, it's 
passed over. It's, it was still there. It's still my, I can't go back and like change history. My past is my past. It's always going to be there. But it has been covered over by the blood of Jesus. And so when I go before the judgment seat of Christ, yeah, poof, there's all my junk. But praise God that he has saved me from it. And praise God that he moved me to do these good things. It's an exposure. It's, a, it's here I am. I'm known. I'm fully known. Home is a place like that. It's a place where you have no more secrets or you're not hiding anything from anybody. You're, you're here before God. This is who I am. And Christ has saved me. And he's brought me into the presence of God. And yeah, that stuff was awful. But thank God for Jesus. I am here. Whatever we've done, evil or good, in life as a Christian, we, we, again, our hope is secure. Our salvation is bought. When we get to heaven, we're going to be known. It's all going to be there. So let's make it our aim to please him and, and not, you know, have all these skeletons, right? <laughs> I mean, um, Paul is encouraging us that it matters what we do. It matters. There is something at stake for us. Um, we shouldn't just view our salvation. I think this is where it gets to the application of it, is that we shouldn't view our salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? And that often happens. It really does. It often happens in Christianity, and especially in American Christianity. There's not much cost to being a Christian in America a lot of times. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and no one's going to persecute you. But you know what? In Kazakhstan, which we're going to pray for today, it is. It does cost you. It costs you greatly, socially and, and potentially with your life. And so... Um, you know, there are places where it costs. And, and so um, we can often view it as this get out of hell free card, and, and that's not it. When we've truly been changed by Jesus, we accept the presence of God in our lives and, and submit to him as our Lord and say, these are my desires and these are my fears and these are the things that I'm dealing with, but I want you, God. You lay those things aside and chase after the very presence of God. It moves us to desire to please the Lord, whether we are at home or away from him, our desire has changed from fulfilling myself and other people's view of me to fulfilling what God, how God sees me and how he views me. We must all appear before Christ that we'd receive what is due to us, whether good or evil. It matters. It matters what we do. The fact is, there are, you know, our, you know our, our eternal home is a place where we're secure and known. And, and homes here on earth should be places where we feel secure and where we feel home. While, you know, while again, I've stated that there's no place where you're fully secure in this life. It's all going, it's all going to crumble at some point. Um, but the gospel is this, it's that more people would come to know this truth, that there is an eternal home that is fully secure and where you can be fully known. And the truth is that in our very community, I mean, you can throw a rock from downtown in any direction and find homes that are not even close to secure and that are not even close to being places where people feel like they can be known or they can find rest or where they feel loved. There are homes in our very midst places where people lie their heads, where being secure and being known are not even close to a reality. Not even close. Like maybe the last place they would call a place of security or place where they can feel, be vulnerable with people. There are many homes in our community where this is not the case. 
where things are not secure, where you are not known. We've all probably endured that to some degree. We've been in a place where we thought we could be who we are, where we thought we were secure, and that security was violated or our vulnerability was taken advantage of. It's true. We've probably all experienced that. There's places where a home that was supposed to be a home was no longer a home to us. And we know many people that are enduring that very thing in our community today. Kids in difficult situations, grown-ups in difficult situations, where their homes aren't places of security. Um, as a gospel-preaching church, as a community of believers that has been changed by the fact that there is an eternal home and there is a place where you can be known we have an opportunity in this community to give security in Christ to people. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation as we've been sort of talking through this, and we'll talk through it some more uh, over the coming weeks. Um, God has given us a security in Christ to share with other people. Are we going to solve all the problems? No, but we probably can help with a lot of them. Um, and you know what we can give them also is an eternal hope that is beyond any circumstance that we are facing in this life. An eternal security in Jesus. As a gospel church, we can bring people to a place where they can be known, where they can be open and vulnerable about what is going on in their lives, where they can talk in a safe manner with someone that cares and loves them. Home doesn't have to be their house. It can be a community of people. And that's the opportunity that we have in this community is, is to be a home for people, to be a place where a secure reality is given to us in Jesus, where a place of vulnerability is available to us as we share with each other. That's why it's so important for us to be committed to community as a church, to be committed to one another in community, to share our burdens and to pray for each other to lift each other up before the throne of God. So as a close, I want to just you know, go with these few things that in Christ, we have a home. We have an eternal home that's been prepared for us by God. He's given it to us freely in Jesus. There's no hoop we have to jump through. We just have to submit to him as Lord and Savior. Give him our lives. It costs nothing and it costs everything in the same moment. It doesn't cost you any of your wealth or any of your possessions or any amount of money at all. It costs you surrendering yourself to Jesus. What you get in return is eternal security. While all these things pass away and fall to dust, you will be secure in home. In God. In Christ, we have a home prepared by God. Our home with God is a place of complete security. There's nothing that you will go through in this life, nothing that you will go through where God is not there for you, where God is not with you, where God is not talking to you, where God is not uh, encouraging you. And ultimately, He's bringing to you a place where those things will never happen again, where there is no tear or no shame. There's eternal security in our home with God. And there's a place to be fully known, a place we can be honest. I've loved, you know, Sam has preached a number of times over the past uh, six months, and he's shared a number of times from the book of Psalms. 
And those are beautiful places to share from because David is brutally honest with the situations and the feelings that he's enduring. And I just, I just love and celebrate the fact that our God is big enough to hear our cries. Like, you could describe your situation in the most grotesque detail of how you are feeling about it. And God says, I know. I feel that with you. I know how you're feeling. I know it because I've endured it in the same way. God sent Jesus down as a high priest who can sympathize with our afflictions, who knows them because he endured them himself. We have a place where we can be known by God, where we are secure in a home that he's prepared. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you that you have a home that is secure for us, a place where we can be known. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as a church, that we would bring that home to this place in ourselves. You've made us into a temple of the Holy Spirit individually and corporately as a church. And in that place, people can feel secure and known by you. So God, it's our desire that many would come and many would know the security that is found in Jesus. And the love that he has for us despite anything we've done. He doesn't get hung up by it. He has forgiven us and redeemed us. God, I pray that throughout this week, even Lord, we would be challenged to think deeply upon the eternal um, gift that you've given us. We would just celebrate and reflect on it. Let, let that reality come into our lives and transcend the the seen things with the unseen things. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.